Welcome to the My Rules of Better podcast. I'm Tom Barbelay. Today, I first wanted to say thank you to the folks that have been leaving really positive comments on YouTube. I have an existing YouTube channel called Monty's Reviews. I've been putting the podcast up, occasional podcasts up on Monty's Reviews, not the entire suite. In order to get the entire suite, you'll need to go to myrulesofbetter.com, click on the podcast download link, connect the RSS feed, do whatever you do in order to get podcasts. And the audio is also available for download on myrulesofbetter.com as well. So if you want to get it that way, that's fine too. But the aim with the YouTube was just to introduce folks that were familiar with my YouTube channel to the idea of this podcast and actually what this podcast was producing. So thanks to the folks who've left correspondence indicating that they're getting inspiration from this podcast, because that's really an important thing. I also recently added the podcast to iTunes, which I typically do after I record a pilot and a couple of other episodes. In this case, obviously, because I started the podcast through the end of year period, Apple was down for a period of time, they take a vacation. And it wasn't possible to get the podcast listed in the timeframes that I was recording, you know, three, four uh, episodes for this particular podcast. But it's wonderful that it's now on iTunes. You can now point other friends to iTunes if they want to listen to this podcast. There are three topics I'd like to cover today, and I debated whether I record them in a single podcast or whether I record them in three separate podcasts, and I really was ebbing and flowing. The three topics are movement, health slash wounds, and then weapons and, you know, getting damage, basically. And I think all these topics are applicable to role-playing games, war games, and board games in a variety of different factors. But the way I'm going to talk about them primarily is associated with war games, with the view that you can then translate them to role-playing games and board games accordingly. But I wanted to start with movement, because I think movement is one of the most interesting aspects of defining a game. Movement covers the turn structure, so it is possible to create turn structures that are, you know, 10 minutes long, even potentially. And a lot can happen in 10 minutes, and with movements specifically, a lot of movement can happen. But let's also break down this notion of movement as being defining factors with regards to certain units. Obviously, you have mechanized units, you have units that have horses, flying, beasts in fantasy. A wide variety of things can impact movement, and certainly in fantasy games, the race of the individual combatant affects the movement as well. Dwarves, by sheer stature alone, move slowly. And you can also add various thematic elements, like Undead, for example. I mean, the fact that the zombies move slowly, well documented. <laughs> Skeletons, these kind of things. So you have an ability with movement to start to embody some of the aspects of distinction. Now, in the Just Plain Chaos rules set, movement is defined through a series of interactions and also associated with a series of skills. So if they're professionally trained, associated with marching, if they have various other skills around that, then it improves their movement in certain circumstances. So movement is a very important part of defining the space of the game. Let's talk about the time cycle component to movement to start off with. There are various rules that have relatively small movements based on the size of the miniatures. And movement can be very much representative, but let's assume that the movement is more realistic in part. And let's talk a little bit associated with the distances and what can happen in, let's say, a war game, for example. Although the same is true in a role-playing game and less so in a board game. But in a war game, the movement enables you to get into range with certain weapons. 
It enables you to get into base-to-base contact with close combat. There typically is notion of double movement or charging, which is another important dynamic that you should probably consider. Now, when I say charging is double, this is because there have been a series of rule sets that have agreed upon this as being the way things are. But you can do it any way you like. You can make any rule associated with charging. You can make any rule associated with any aspect of movement. And through playtesting and through looking at a variety of different scenarios, you'll start to get a sense of whether or not you made the right decision. So in games where the movement is slightly smaller or smaller proportional to other games, it's usually because the turns are slightly shorter and there's more things that could potentially go on within those turns. But really also it can be a board dynamic thing as well. So if you're playing a war game or a role-playing game or even a board game, and you don't actually have that much space, you're confined by space, obviously movement is going to be the one thing that will, you know, enable you to fit more into a smaller space, so to speak. So in general, and this is also based on history as opposed to based on necessity, movement is measured in inches. And movement in inches in war games makes some sense because you're typically dealing, at least in 28mm, 25mm, these kind of scales, with things where an inch seems to be a a reasonable unit of movement. And that could typically translate to anything from three to six feet, uh, metrically, you know, a couple of metres, basically. So you could opt to use centimetres. I mean, it's perfectly feasible to use centimetres in your rule set as well. And in the case of role-playing games, what you do here is typically translate the miniature movement to some real-world movement as well. So in most war games, movement is just shorthand. It represents actual distances, but it's just translated back to inches. But in role-playing games, you probably also need to have a notion of real-world distance too. So if you do measurements, you could say, okay, that's about you know 100 feet away, that's about 30 feet away, because you're giving context in a spatial sense as well as just having the you know miniatures there representing the environment. But in war games, you'll typically have some unit of measure. Each of the various units, be they infantry units, mechanized units, uh, you know, horses, cavalry, all these kind of things will have different movement rates. And I'm going to talk later in the series associated with point structures. I think what's interesting early on is just to get the mechanics playable and in an order where it's actually fun to play. Points, typically, this is the way in which you create competitive forces uh, in a war game. Um, Role-playing games, you can use points uh, particularly associated with an enemy. Um, So we'll talk a little bit about that later in this podcast series. So let's just put the points thing aside and look at the distinctions between infantry movement and cavalry movement, the distinction between trained infantry movement and untrained infantry movement. And here... You have rules potentially associated with base-to-base contact. You have rules associated with, I guess, this rank and file. There's a potential of a variety of different factors actually playing into what the movement is. But let us assume we're dealing with individual miniatures that are independent and able to move, individual entities, individual you know, units of infantry, individual infantry folk standing there with their spears looking very, very to attention. Anyway, so these folk have an implicit movement which should be defined, associated with what a human would move in a certain length of time. 
And this is a kind of marching, ordered marching versus, say, charging versus, say, all these other things. So there's a certain degree of, you know, different possibilities. Most game rules have at least two different movement possibilities, be it, you know, standard marching or charging. It's possible to actually include things like, you know, rank and file organization versus disbanding from that versus active charging. There's a wide variety of different techniques associated with movement that's based on either the historical period, the fantasy background, a wide variety of different things which you have the option of choosing. So let us say, for example, that infantry can move at, say, six inches. Well, what can cavalry move at comparable to that? Well, based on a variety of rule sets, sometimes it's double, sometimes it's a variety of different factors. I think here you can actually go back and look at the historical record if you're writing rules based on a historical period. You can get a rough sense of this. None of these things need to be absolute or precise initially. What you're trying to do is just put together a series of ideas on paper that is playable and you can start looking at it as a possible dynamic to change. But in terms of the length of time, in terms of what a turn means, the movement is really critical. So start thinking about it in terms of an average human. What would an average human do in this circumstance? Then add on military training, add on various kind of disciplinary, you know, infantry discipline, this kind of stuff. Start looking at these things in kind of plus minus terms associated with what movement would look like for that troop. And then you move to another troop type. Maybe it's a cavalry unit. So then there's some historical basis for how fast a horse can gallop, for example. Then you have the charge movement. You have a sense of that in terms of the maximum possible distance. And then you can work backwards from that to something that you feel comfortable with. Now, changing the dynamics associated with infantry versus cavalry, then you have things like mechanized infantry. Then you have a series of, you know, other possibilities. You have tanks, you have flying craft in a lot of games. There are lots of different things that you could test out the movement rules based on. But consider firstly the time cycle of a turn. Consider also the play space. If you have a smaller play space or you're envisioning a smaller play space, reduce the distance. Reduce perhaps what you're describing in terms of what a turn constitutes. And that is the movement accordingly. So once you've made decisions associated with this, throw down a few numbers for different kinds of units. Throw down a few numbers associated with you know, cavalry, these kind of things, and just see how it plays out. Now, you don't even need any battling in this. Just set up two opposing forces and do turn by turn, movement by movement. What will these dynamics produce in just movement terms? What will happen after the first turn, after the second turn, after the third turn? When will these different units be in base-to-base contact? When will these units have these kind of interactions? Taking aside every other factor, you can actually dry run movement more than any other aspect of the games that you'll create. And I think that's a very important thing to just consider when you start creating these games is movement should probably be the defining factor in the game. So if you like these podcasts, it's a word of mouth based podcast. I'm not putting sponsors in here. I'm doing a variety of different things. I'm literally just talking to you guys. You're the audience. And if you like what I'm doing, Tell your friends about this podcast. If you like what I'm doing, send a link out. Post a link on social media, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you do, Instagram, you know. So many different ways to get the word out associated with my rules better. I'd like to thank you for listening into this. I think this worked out. I wanted a kind of short but sweet way of discussing this topic and I'll discuss the other two topics and put them all out in one go.
and you folk can have at it. Tom Barbelay, recording in San Jose, California, signing out.